I, uh, I am I'm really glad and, and thankful that you guys are here today at Grace Church, especially on a holiday weekend. Our hope every weekend here at Grace Church is at the hour and 10 minutes, <laughs> or let's be honest, hour and 15 minutes that we're here every single week is the most helpful and hope-filled hour of your entire week. I hope that when you leave, uh, your cup is full. Uh, if not full, that at least you walk out with more in your cup than what you walked in with. I'd, I'd, my, my hope is that when people walk in the doors depressed or discouraged, that they leave it encouraged, right? That's, that's the hope, um, is, is that when you, when, you, when you walk out of here, you're inspired, you're motivated, and you're determined to take whatever baby steps that God put in your heart uh, to help you become the person that God is calling, and I believe God is trying to develop you into, into becoming. That's our hope. Uh, uh, additionally, like, like when, when Grace Church was at a Holiday Inn, we knew everybody's stories. When we were at Lombardo's, uh, we knew everybody who was in the room. And when Grace Church was around 200 people, Billy Jane, my wife, made the comment, you know, one of the saddest things about our church to me is that I don't know everybody's names. And I said, Billy, if it's going to be about us knowing everybody's names, then we need to shut this thing down now and everybody else can go to hell. And I'm not saying that like a swear, although that sounded like, actually, I just wanted to swear in church. Preachers try to slip those in there. And that's what I was trying to do. But, but essentially, that is what we'd be saying if it's about us knowing everybody. Because it isn't about me. It's about Jesus, right? And it's about us getting as many people, as many of our friends and neighbors, an opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. And I still have friends who haven't had a legitimate chance to know and follow him. So I know we ain't done yet. So as long as you have friends, neighbors, and family members who are still disconnected from God, bro, we got a crap ton of work to do, right? And I got to see the church in action yesterday in a way that I hadn't seen it in a long time. Uh, there's, there's a family in our church who's moving. They've sold their house. And um, so when I, when I showed up yesterday, didn't have a lot of time, but Billy, Jane, and I showed up uh, with one of our kids to help them load, load their moving truck. Uh, I thought it was just going to be my wife and I and Pastor Ken and maybe his wife and, and, and maybe one or two other people who, you know, the, the regulars kind of a thing, like the people who always show up when something needs to be done. And when, when we got there, um, um, I, I saw a whole bunch of people that I hardly even knew. And my wife was like, I don't even know some of these people. Who are? And when we got in there, we found out that it was their entire life group had shown up to help them move. And I got back in the car. Like, I almost cried, which is so rare for me. And I, <laughs> and listen, there, you know, Grace Church puts in them little, this, the, uh, on the, in our Facebook page, they'll took like a two-minute clip of a, a sermon, they put it online, right, that kind of a deal. Um, there's some, they did one from, from August where I was a little bit weepy uh, in, in that one. Um, and then the lady, who I don't think goes to our church, but just kind of like watches those on Facebook every once in a while, she, she commented, she goes, does he always cry every time he preaches? Like, I got really defensive. I, I, I wanted to go, shut up! You don't know me! But, like, that's one of those deals where, like, I can't defend myself, right? So I was like, dang it, I'm never crying again! I'll show that lady I've never met before. She talked trash about him. Actually, it wasn't, I don't think it was a bad thing. I think it was a legitimate question. But I got back in the car, and I looked over at Billy Jane. I was like, that, I said, this, this is so beautiful, I want to cry. Like, this is the church in action. This is what it looks like. So my hope is that you don't, like, my biggest fear, you being here today, is that you're going to give this two or three months time, and you're not going to connect to anybody, and you're going to not come back, and no one's going to even know. That really is my biggest fear, is that you won't matter to somebody else here. So that, that only happens if you engage. So, like, I, 
Our goal isn't to put butts in seats. It's to help people know and to follow Jesus. But you can't follow Jesus for a long time without any spiritual backup. And you've already got friends who are great encouragement to you. But truthfully, you need people who share your faith. Or maybe your new faith or you're new to faith. And you need people who are a little bit farther along. People give you wise and godly counsel. People give you backup when you need it. You know what I mean? And they don't replace your existing friendships. They're meant by God to supplement your existing friendships. That's all. That's what I hope happens when you show up, show up today. Uh, is that at some point you go all in in your relationship with God. And truthfully, that's what the whole book of John is about. And that's what we're studying. And so today, uh, we're wrapping up this series rescued in John chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, go, go there. John chapter 12. John's biggest concern when he wrote his letter a couple of decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the first three books of the New Testament were written, was that people would misidentify who Jesus was or that they would come to the conclusion that he's a good moral dude. So John doesn't really leave us that option. He says either Jesus is God or he's evil because he claimed to be God and no good dude would do that. So either he was who he claimed to be or he isn't. And if he isn't, he's a fraud. So he's like, you're either all in or you're, 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 you don't have God at all. And there's, there's two responses John uh, uh, repeats over and over and over again that we have uh, when it comes to a relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus. And, and when we look at the claims of Jesus that we are to die to ourselves, that we are to stop being selfish, living with us in the middle of it, and that we are to sacrifice our life to the glory of God and the good of others and actually live, love, give, and serve the way Jesus lived, love, gave, and served. And that's what he said when he said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He's saying, deny yourself, stop being all about you. Take up your cross, which is all about sacrificing your life. For who? Him and his kingdom purposes. And then actually follow me. Live, love, give, and serve the way I live, love, give, and serve. When we realize the consequences of that choice and what's going to change, we tend to move God into the friend zone at that point. It's like when you're dating somebody. You start dating for five, six, seven years. At some point, you're going to have to decide where this relationship is going, right? Now, if you just elbowed somebody next to you, I did not intend for that to happen. So I'm sorry. Like I did, but they did tell me to bring this up today in church because you need to ask the question or just end this because you're wasting her time, all right? <laughs> not really, but maybe, maybe. For somebody, that's a word from God for you right there. But at some point, you have to decide, it, like, is, like, is what's, what's, what's happening with this? Either you come to the I do moment where you just go all in. I'm dead to my single man ways, and I am a one man woman for the rest of my life, devoted and committed to, to you and, and to you only, or we need to cut this thing off. And that's exactly what John does in, the, in, in, his, in his gospel, in his narrative, is he points out all the times where Jesus did that with the crowds. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about where Jesus said something extremely confrontational, almost intentional to thin out the crowds. And it's not that Jesus was trying to keep people from him. He just wanted the people that were following him to either choose whether or not they really wanted to follow him or not, but quit playing. And after that day, people quit playing. And from that point on, the last six months of Jesus' ministry, the crowds started dwindling. Because he wasn't letting them move him to the friend zone. You're either all in or you walk away. And that's, that's the point that John keeps repeating. Uh, those, those, those are the things that Jesus kept talking about that John kept telling, reminding us of 
uh, in, in his narrative. Now, today in John chapter 12, I told you guys last weekend that this weekend we're going to be looking at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, and and I, I, I need to, to um, um, pull back from that a little bit. Uh, because I, like, I'm still struggling. Like, like now it's one of the most uncomfortable stories to me uh, after I did a little bit of extra study th this weekend. Uh, the, in each one of the narratives of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a story where a woman comes in and anoints Jesus uh, with, with spikenard, with, with very expensive uh, perfume. Now, this was something that uh, girls were given um, by their father uh, at some point or right around the time when they became, became a woman. And this was part of their dowry, and it was an uh, it was a flask, usually made of alabaster if they were they were wealthy, which was uh, a costly uh, jar. But the, the perfume in inside of it was was made of spikenard, uh, which which uh, uh, I, I googled it and then went to Wikipedia and then spent way too much time reading about the plant that, and I realized this is a waste of time. So anyway, it's a plant that comes from India and China. Uh, so they were rural uh, Jewish people living in a Roman oppressed occupied country being taxed to death and and this perfume uh, to make its way from india and china uh which is crazy expensive in fact we're going to find out in today's teaching and one of the other narratives that a, a jar of this cost 300 denarii and one denarii was one day's wages so it was 300 days essentially 10 months worth of salary so it's not like a dad would not take care of his family for 10 whole months straight so that he could buy this one tiny jar, you know, 12 ounces or whatever to give to his daughter to use on her wedding day, as much as he would have to set aside money every time he got paid from the moment his daughter was born, and it would have to be a certain percentage enough so that when she turned 13 or 14, he'd have an entire year's worth of wages saved up to give to her. Now, how much do you make in 10 months? I mean, that's going to be completely subjective, but if, what do you make in a year? 30000 a year? 50000 100000 200000 like, I don't, I don't know what you make in a year, but can you imagine spending that much on one jar of perfume? I mean, it's crazy. Like, like none of us would do that. Um, my wife, like, I, she always gets the same uh, loofah and body wash thing from Santa in her gift every, every in, her, in her stocking every single year. But if that cost me 10, wait, 10, year, 10 months wages, uh, that chick ain't getting any perfume this year. And she ain't washing with a loofah. You so soap like normal people. <laughs> soap and a wash rag has done their trick for thousands of years, chick. Right? Like, you got to get all that fancy, scrubby stuff. Whatever. All right. She smells beautiful, though, so it's wonderful. So I'm going to keep putting that in her stocking. My point is, I ain't spending 10 months' salary on that. Neither would you. And then all three, all, all four accounts uh, of, of the anointing of Jesus by a woman with this perfume, it was that exact same perfume. Now, I thought because uh, it was a woman who was anointing uh, with an alabaster flask with spikenard in it, that all four stories were the same. It was a, a four accounts of the same event. And uh, so you find out different details. And so what I was really looking forward to, I was going to say, now look in Matthew and, and, and Mark and look at the details here. It's Simon the leper. And then, and then, and then we go over to somewhere else where it's uh, in, in Luke. Where Matthew chapter 26, just so that you, in case you won't care, Mark 14, Luke 7, and John chapter 12 are the four different accounts of the anointing of Jesus by a woman with this expensive perfume. And then you go over to Luke chapter 7, you find out that it's Simon the Pharisee. Uh, you know, Matthew and Mark said it was a leper. 
Uh, then Luke gives us extra detail. He's a Pharisee who had leprosy. And then like, if he's still living in the city and, and he's having a party where everybody's coming over to his house. And obviously he doesn't have leprosy anymore. So he's throwing a party for Jesus. He's got everything back. And, and, and Luke it talks about the woman who's anointing him as a prostitute. Um, and, 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 you know, and I, I go into detail about this, this bottle and, and, and their correlation to that and, and how that she'd abandoned her vows to her future husband when she became a prostitute. And what kind of choices does it, does it, does it, what has that, forget choices, what kind of events happen in the girl's life to get her to a place where she would actually choose that? You know what I'm saying? Like that's, no little girl grows up hoping someday to be a prostitute. I mean, that, that's what you do. When you have zero other choices, zero, when you have nobody else who can help you out, when you've got no connections anymore, or every option's already been played out, right? And that's true, and that, that really did happen to that girl. And then I, said, then, I, then I take you to John, I find out, and her name is Mary. Oh, my word, Lazarus's little sister, she was a hooker. And like, you know, the scandal of that. And, and not that that's the reason why that's my favorite story, but it's pretty dramatic. And then, and, then in, and then in preparing for the teaching today, I realized that they weren't all, there were three different times. And like, so I was like, oh, I've been teaching it wrong for like 20 years. Like, that's just discouraging to a preacher. When you find out you've been preaching the Bible wrong for, for 20 years, it's, it's horribly discouraging. Um, so then I said, so today I'm teaching from John 12. Only on, and I don't get to bring up all those other stories. But I want to tell you briefly, for those of you guys who are interested, if you were raised uh, uh, in church, if you're familiar with these stories, uh, why I believe that they are three separate events, because there is a little bit of debate, debate among scholars as to how many times Jesus was actually anointed. And I'll start with Luke 7, because I believe it happened chronologically the soonest. First of all, in Luke's chron uh, uh, order of the life of Jesus, it happens at the beginning of his ministry. And then it says that after this, when Jesus was anointed by this prostitute who was washing her, her, his feet with the tears uh, from her that were falling, she's just sobbing and the ointment with her. She didn't have a towel and she was wiping his, his feet with her hair that the Pharisee in the room was like, if this man really were a prophet, he would know what kind of a person this is that's touching him. And he wouldn't let her do that. So he had a misunderstanding of the character and nature of God, that God isn't comfortable with people who have a shady past. So there's some really cool lessons there about Jesus allowing the proximity and the scandal of allowing this kind of a woman to be the first person to anoint him for his ministry. But then it says, and, and then when Jesus knew this was in his heart, he gives an illustration to Simon where he says, uh, if, if, a, if a debtor, if, if he had two people who owed him money and one owed him 5,000 denarii, oh my word, that's like, what, what five, five years? No, that's more than 10 years wages. And somebody else owes him 50 denarii. That's a month and a half's wages. And out of kindness, he forgives them both. Who, who's going to be more grateful? And Simon the Pharisee says, well, I, I, it'd be the person he forgave the most. And he said, you're right. And truthfully, those who recognize the gravity of their sin and are forgiven love more than those who don't think that they're all that bad. And this woman and her sins are great is forgiven. And then Simon says in his heart, who is this man to forgive sins? We know who this man was. He's God. He has the authority to forgive sins, right? And then he says to her, he says, woman, you're forgiven. Uh, go don't go and, and, and don't sin anymore. And then it says, and then he begins to teach throughout. So they didn't understand that Jesus was claiming to be God. So, but by the time Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are here, they all knew who Jesus was. That's why I think it's a separate event. 
Now, Matthew and Mark are clearly the same. It's, it's in Bethany, and it's Simon the leper, who obviously is no longer a leper, and he has a party for Jesus because obviously as a gra gratitude, a thankful party, you healed me, gave me my life back, so he wants to throw a party for Jesus, and a woman comes in to anoint Jesus. That's actually the night before Jesus is betrayed. Today we're looking at uh, uh, in, in John, and the Bible clearly says that it's six days before Passover, Matthew and Mark says that that anointing is two days before Passover. So there are three different times where a woman comes in and breaks open this expensive jar of perfume to anoint Jesus uh, in preparation for what he was about to do next. Uh, it was a hooker who anointed Jesus as he was about to proclaim that forgiveness was available to everybody. Um, and it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who's anointing Jesus, and she anoints his feet to get him ready to do everything that he's about to do at the end of the week. And it's Matthew and Mark when an unnamed woman comes in to anoint uh, Jesus' head uh, because of the role he's about to play the next day as the Savior of all of mankind. And so there's, there's three different events. So this is, this is six days ahead of time. Now, it's, it's four days after what we're looking at today. The second time in one week where this perfume jar of a year's wages is poured out in one moment uh, on Jesus, uh, that the disciples say, why was this wasted? This is a year's worth of salary. We could have sold this to somebody else uh, who's looking to buy this for his own daughter and then taken that year's worth of wages and done something good with it. And Jesus says the same thing uh, in Matthew and Mark the night before he was betrayed uh, that he says today that we're looking at in John chapter 12 where he says uh, that you have the poor with you always and you, you won't always have me and leave, the, leave her alone because this is necessary for what's about, about to happen. And, it, and after the second time this week that this happens, the Bible says that Judas goes out, he leaves, he's so upset uh, at this. And we're going to find out today why Judas was more upset than everybody else that Jesus had wasted this much perfume. And it was after the second time this week where he goes straight to the temple, to the synagogue, and he says to the chief priests, how much will you give me if I betray him to you? They said 30 pieces of silver, and he said sold. And it was the next day when Jesus was praying in the garden uh, after the Lord's Supper, that lat the Passover, um, that, that Judas actually betrays Jesus with a kiss. Uh, that Judas kiss, you might have heard that before. That's all this week. And so the, the, the start of that week is actually today. This is the night before Palm Sunday. This is night before Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and people are throwing down palm fronds on the road saying, Hosanna, Hosanna uh, to God in the highest. Uh, so John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. And we talked about that story last week. And Jesus always stayed with Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of, of Lazarus. Um, he always stayed with them whenever he came to Jerusalem. Think of it like his, uh, it was his bed and breakfast. It was just outside the city. It was in the suburbs. He didn't have to deal with the commute, the or excuse me, uh, the traffic in the city and the noise of the city. It was a little bit of peace and quiet. This is his Airbnb, his VRBO, uh, whenever he would travel. He would stay with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So he's in Bethany, just outside Jerusalem, and it's tomorrow morning when he's going to tell his disciples to go over there into this other village and grab a donkey, a baby donkey that no one's ever ridden on before. Bring it to me. They're going to saddle it up right there in Bethany. And Jesus is going to take the ride into Jerusalem that starts the last week of his life before, before the crucifixion. All right? Uh, verse 2. 
A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And if you don't mind a quick timeout, I want to highlight Martha, because every time Martha's ever mentioned in the entire Bible, she's serving. I love that. Without Martha, there's no ministry. And while the people who serve behind the scenes, like Jojo, might not get as much credit or FaceTime as the worship team or me because we're on the stage, nobody's role is unnecessary for what we're doing. The truth is, there's about 320 Marthas in this church family. There are Marthas who are praying over your children in the nursery right now without any credit. Nobody, nobody thanks them. Like I, I have people who encourage me weekly, and, and I'm grateful for the encouragement. I'm just saying, don't forget Marthas because Marthas make crap happen. Are you with me? There were people that showed up early today to make your coffee. We didn't even think about them. There are people who cleaned up the coffee trash from last night and who took it out to the dumpster on the side of the building before we got here this morning so that we wouldn't see piles of trash. There are people in the parking lot who waved at you when you walked in and helped you find a good seat. And if you're a single mom who had, you know, two car baby, carriage, baby carriers, they probably helped one. You, you carry one of them. You see what I'm saying? Those are the Marthas of the world. What I'm saying is Martha's are the ones who make ministry happen. And I love that God wanted to make sure that for the rest of eternity, everybody knew her name was Martha. Because Martha matters. I just, last week we focused on Martha. This week the focus is on Mary. But even though the focus is on Mary, God goes, don't forget, Martha's the one who made the whole dinner possible. So if you're one of those people, I just want to say thanks. You freaking rock. Sure. All right. You can clap. <laughs> That's probably a Martha going, yes, yes, for me. It's about time somebody recognizes what I do around this church. Back to the Bible. Uh, then took Mary a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. I've already talked about that. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, which tells me how impromptu this was. But she wasn't prepared for this. It doesn't say that the party was at. I don't think the party was at Lazarus' house. It just says that it was in Bethany, which is the home of Lazarus. Bethany was the home of Lazarus. But it doesn't say that the party was in the home of Lazarus. Because then if it was in the home of Lazarus where Mary lived, it doesn't make sense that she would be using her hair. Does that make sense? Like, the spur of the moment decision. She grabs the most valuable thing to me. Now, now, I told you I would explain the value of this in just a second. So this is the second in which I want to explain the value. When a woman got this, she knew that as long as she had this, she had security. That's one of the reasons why her dad gave it to her. Because in that culture, in that time of the world's history women were defenseless but as long as they had this they had a whole year's salary in their back pocket that god forbid if they had to trade that in if they got jammed up before they became a hooker you see what i'm saying as long as they had their jar of spike nerd they had hope they were never going to be destitute that was their emergency parachute this was like their ira this was their retirement account this was like their inheritance. Do you see what I'm saying? This was plan B. It was their backup. If they ever got jammed up, as long as she had this, she didn't need to depend on anybody else. 
So truthfully, her faith, her hope, and confidence was in this. So when she came to the place, and this is what was so extravagant about it, that the hooker had actually saved it too. Because she had made that, she goes, no, I'm not going to give up plan B. Maybe there's going to be some guy out in the world who is still going to love me, and I want to give that man something. So her hope, all of these women, their hope, their confidence, their trust, was in this was in their ability to rescue himself. And for each one of these three women, and Mary specifically, since we're talking about her today, when she came to the place where she broke open this jar, and you would have to break the neck to get to the spike nerd. It was a one-time shot. Women would use it on their honeymoon, and they would just leave it out uh, on a table uh, in the tent to, to, to uh, give fragrance to the tent for the seven-day honeymoon that they, that they would have that was customary in their day. And so when they broke this open, what they were saying is, my only hope, my only confidence, all of my trust is now in Jesus. It's all you. The most valuable thing I have, God, is at your disposal. That's what she was doing. What's the most valuable? She's, she's in the presence of Jesus. She knows who he is. He raised her brother. Good night. He raised her brother from the dead a week ago. She says, What's the most valuable thing? I know. I know how I can show God how thankful I am by giving him the most valuable thing that I have. That's nuts. That would be like you going, what's the most, what's the most, what's the most extravagant way I could show God I love him? And it'd be you cashing in your retirement to giving it to a missionary. That's insane. You see what I'm saying? That's the extravagance of what she was doing. And we need to like, notice how crazy of an offering that was. A gesture of love and confidence in Jesus. But Judas Iscariot, verse 4, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, he betrays Jesus Five nights from now, six nights from now. Because four nights from now, it's going to happen again with another lady in Simon's house. And he's going to get so upset, he's going to go to the Pharisees and betray Jesus. This is where it starts, his bitterness. Simon, who is, excuse me, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth the year's wages. It should have, he didn't say why. The disciples four days from now say, why wasn't this sold? He doesn't say why. He makes a declarative statement. This is wrong. This should have been sold. And, and the money given to the poor. That's what he says should happen. In his mind, this is a waste. You know what a waste is? When you pay too much for too little. He looks at who Jesus is. And he looks at what this girl has in her hand. And he makes a value call. And he says, what she's doing for him is not worth what she's letting go of to do that. She is spending too much and getting too little. They valued Jesus completely differently. She was willing to give up everything she had for him. I, I wrote it this way. Mary used wealth 
for more of God. And Judas was using God for more of wealth. Because the very next verse says, he said this not because he cared for the poor. Look at the next verse. Not that he cared for the poor, verse 6, but because he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. He used God to get more for himself. And truthfully, most of us use religion like a slot machine. Come on, sevens. Come on, Jesus, get me what I need. Right? Our tokens are just things like church attendance, forgiving people, dropping coins off at the Santa Claus bucket when we walk into Walmart in the next couple of weeks, being good, not lying, not beating small children, throwing a dollar to the homeless guy down by South Station. You see what I'm saying? These are our coins. We do these little things to stack up credit so that we can pull the lever so that God could get us what we want God to get us. We come to church with a list of what? Things we want God to do. Are you with me? Not even considering the areas of our life that we've told God are off limits to Him. Verse 7. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And he wasn't saying, you're always going to have poor people. <laughs> Screw them. It's not what he was saying. He says, you're going to have the opportunity to do good for people like poor all the time. But your time with me is limited. You have limited time, dude. You need to prioritize based on what's important. That's what Jesus was telling him to do. She's prioritized. She's picked what's most important now. And she's rearranged her life and her choices based on that. Judas, bro, you need to do the same thing. And truthfully, we do live as though we've got all the time in the world. And truthfully, we don't know how much time we've got. Because if you knew you had a month left to live, you would live differently. You would be far more loving, far more forgiving, far more generous, wouldn't you? I think we all would. We all struggle with this. I've got two questions that lead me to two lessons, and then we'll wrap it up. The first question is this. What is most important to you? What is the most important thing to you? What is it? What's most important to you? And would you let that go if God asked you to? I'm not saying he is, but what if he did? What if he did want you to switch careers? What if he did? Here's what I want you to do. On your communication card, flip it over. There's a blank space for your notes. Write down what's most important to you. Write it down. Because if you don't do anything tangibly with this teaching, it does nobody any good. What is most important to you and would you lay that down if God called you to? Because I believe that everybody who comes to God needs to come to God with open hands, not closed fists. To make that point, God told Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? All I have left in this world, God, is this staff. He's lay it down. Well, will I get it back? He didn't ask that question. He didn't even know if he was going to get it back. But God told him to let it go. 
That's what Moses needed to let go of. Gideon, before Gideon got to be the, the famous uh, Jewish general warrior, warrior uh, judge uh, in the book of Judges who rescued the Jews uh, from the, the, the innumerable uh, Moabites with only 300 soldiers before he became the famous Gideon who's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and folklore of all of, of, all of Jewish history before God let him do any of that. The first thing God said is, go, in your own, go into your own backyard and tear down your idols. And the Bible says the reason why he did that at night is because he was afraid of being rejected by his dad and his brothers. So the first thing he had to let go of was the fear of being rejected by his family. What do you need to let go of? Peter had to let go of his fishing nets. In order to follow Jesus, he had to quit his job. Mary gave up her spike nerd. If there was one thing holding you back in your relationship with God, what would it be? Write that down. What's the one thing? Maybe this is even a different answer. If there was one thing that was holding you back in your relationship with God, what would it be? For some of you, it is an addiction. For some of you, it's where you go when you're online. For some of you, it's your inappropriate conversations at school or at work. What's the one thing holding you? Listen, you can either grow in your relationship with God as a result of being here today, or you can just check off a check mark, get an extra token, and pull the lever and hope for sevens. Or you can actually start taking baby steps to becoming the person that God's calling you to be. What's the one thing holding you back in your relationship with God? Write it down. Second question is this. What value do you assign your relationship with God? Don't tell me that God is the most important thing to you. Don't tell me that. Lightly. Look at how you spent each of the 24 hours of all seven days of this past week. And if you were to break up this past week into 15-minute chunks, using what you did with your time, prove to me God's most important to you. Show me last month's bank statement. And from your bank statement... Prove to me you love God. Show me by the way you choose to handle yourself. Prove it. See, it's easy to say we love God. But God knows. He ain't no chump. We don't fool him at all. And what he wants from us is our heart. And he knows whether or not he has it. My question is, is there anything that's a part of your life right now that constantly reminds you to rearrange your life around the person of Jesus? David made it a regular habit to write worship songs. Daniel made it a pattern to pray three times a day facing Jerusalem. Jesus woke up, the Bible says, a great while before day to spend time alone with God. What is one thing you can pick up? So I'm, my first, what's one thing you should let go of and what's one thing you should pick up to take a baby step toward becoming the person that God's calling you to be? What value does God have in your life and what's one thing that you can add to your life that would remind you of the value you say you place on God? Now, either you'll let this thing go that you've written down, 
and you will pick this thing up and start growing in your relationship with God, or you will walk out of here and this weekend's service had absolutely zero long-term value to you. Honestly, there is absolutely nothing I can do about that. The ball really is in your court. You have to do something with this. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear my sayings and do them. If we don't do anything with what the Bible tells us, we don't go anywhere with the life that he's given us. Does that make sense? Let's pray. God, I'm, I am right now, especially in light of this teaching, recognizing how much more I'm like Judas than Mary. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the ways I try to manipulate my relationship with you and I, I bargain and, you know, God, if I do this, then you need to do this. And you're not indebted to me, you're God. I'm the creature, not the creator. A hundred percent of all that I am and all that I have is only because you've already demonstrated how much you love me by giving this to me. You don't need to prove yourself to me anymore. You, Jesus, showing up in human history, taking the punishment for the stuff I've done wrong alone is enough. Out of gratitude, I gladly want to offer the rest of my life to you in any way that you see fit. My prayer today, God, is that you would just put it in my heart to do it, to say it, to let it go. And my commitment to you is to obey whatever it is your Holy Spirit puts in my heart to do or to say. So for those of us in here, God, who know clearly what it is that's holding us back in our relationship with you, I pray, God, that in the name of Jesus, we would lay it down. And for those of us, God, who want to grow more in our relationship with you, who truly do need to demonstrate, if nothing else, than to our own selves the value you, you have in our lives. Help us to look for opportunities to demonstrate our love for you and what we do for others. The amount of grievances we're willing to forgive. The horrible people we're willing to forgive. The selfish people we're willing to love. God, change us on the inside so that you can change others through our outside. And bless us, but only bless us to the degree that we're willing to be a blessing to you and to others. And we ask this in your great name. Uh, and we pray and say together, amen.